0: Hello, folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Life in Red podcast. A couple housekeeping things before we get into today's episode. Um, If you would like to donate to my Movember campaign, it's not actually through uh, the Movember charity. I am raising money for the Royal Ottawa Mental Health Centre here in Ottawa, which does research and a whole bunch of other things for mental health. So I'm raising money for them to keep money local to where I am. So if you would like to donate to that, uh, you can go to uh, my bio on any social media, Life and Red podcast, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that, um, or my personal pages and find that to donate. Uh, also, I'm having a talk come up on uh, December 9th with NextGen East Ontario. We're going to be talking mental health. Uh, it's from twelve to one, and tickets to that they are free. If you'd like to attend, it's virtual, so you can attend from anywhere. Again, go to any of my social profiles, Life from Red Podcast or Big Red Ryan zero one, uh, and you can find the link to register there. Now, a lot about mental health there, and as you know, I talk about men's mental health, but today we're talking about women and um, the relationship that maybe women and men have, and how we can make that better. So uh, this is my first podcast where I did three guests, which was super exciting. Um, And uh, we talk a whole bunch of things about a whole bunch of things, actually. And uh, we get into dynamics of dating and violence against women and how uh, we can be more equal and inclusive. And uh, this company uh, reached out to me um because they're also trying to get men more involved in this conversation because as we know especially when it comes to male you know men and women dynamics you know men who are a little more aggressive and and you know have toxic masculinity uh traits toss toxic masculine traits uh they're probably going to only listen to men unfortunately when it comes to these conversations so they're trying to get them involved through clothing and it's really great Uh, they believe in intersectionality questioning power domination liberation and promoting inclusive environment to challenge the diverse and widespread harms of the patriarchy okay it's a great company i got my shirt uh it says women on top which i love um, so please give it up for my guests it was a great conversation they are from Lady Loud Clothing Company you can check them out at ladyloud.ca uh, my guests are with Emily, a CEO and co-founder Jessica, also a co-founder and Shannon communications coordinator all from Lady Loud
1: you take the red pill Stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.
2: Welcome to a life in
0: My first four person podcast. Now, everyone's on one screen, so that's going to make the graphics look so much better. Uh, <laughs> but welcome to the Lady Loud uh, Clothing team. Uh, thank you all so much for joining me.
3: Thanks for having us.
0: Uh, We have Emily, Jessica, and Shannon. So I'm going to start with Emily. Uh, Please introduce yourself uh, and tell us a little bit about you.
2: So hi, my name is Emily. I'm from Muskoka, Ontario. Um, I'm one of the co-founders of Lady Loud. Um, I'm a nurse by trade. I currently work in a more behind-the-scenes area, not bedside nursing right now. Um, I do case management for high-risk clients in our community. Um, I also am a volunteer with um, an organization called Victim Services, and that's my professional background. <laughs> that's <me. laughs>
0: that's, uh, that's a per- some pretty heavy lifting for a career that, you know, yeah. very heavy and uh, I'm sure very mentally draining. So yeah. uh thank very you.
2: emotional.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like you know, a lot to take home. Um and so we'll we'll dig into that. Uh Jessica, same question. Please introduce yourself.
3: I'm Jessica. I'm the other co-founder. Um I'm live in Ottawa. I'm not from here, but I live here. And I own a company called Lady Lash. It's an eyelash studio in Little Italy in Ottawa. Um Fun. so not as serious and intense, but
0: <laughs> I'm sure you hear like I'm like some pretty Incredible stories, though, as you're working with clients.
3: Yeah. One of those things. People like to say a lot of things when their eyes are closed.
0: (laughs) I remember talking to a a hairdresser and like she was telling me the stories that they get in the chair and like sometimes it's just, you know, small talk, but then others like just spill their entire life story. And you're like, (laughs) yeah,
3: like I get everything from like boy trouble to politics to marriage trouble. Like it's it, it can get serious. Not all the time, but sometimes when their eyes are closed, they just need someone to talk to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Shannon, please introduce yourself.
1: So I am the communications coordinator. Uh, I'm in Ottawa with Jessica as well. Uh, Professionally, I am doing my PhD in conflict studies. Uh, I specialize more typically in counterterrorism, but my other side is violence against women. So Mm. I talk a lot about um, power dynamics with gender Uh, I try and teach as much as I can. So this was kind of a perfect way to come in and provide some of my uh, education and knowledge to a company like this.
0: Wow. So that's a a pretty powerful combination of women running this organization from a lot of different backgrounds, uh, coming together uh, with different experiences, but in one common goal. That's really, really cool. And I'm sure you're here to make sure they don't say anything silly.
3: (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: So um, I, I, I'll let whoever wants to take this question start. but tell me a little bit about what Lady Loud is and how it came together.
3: So I'll take this one. Um, so we are not, we are not experts at <laughs> all in this subject. Um, we're just people, women that have had our own personal, struggles and stories and i've seen our friends go through some things and things like that we're not at all experts i'd like to say that before mm-hmm. we talk and say anything that offends anybody um but we started this company because we had a friend who was out on a date with this guy um and he kind of brought up feminism and the whole me too movement and things like that and he said to her that he would be a lot more willing to support it if women were a lot less angry about the topic um so she was definitely taken aback by it and they had a long conversation where he kind of gave his opinion like i've never done anything wrong i don't believe that i should be attacked or made to feel like i did something wrong when i didn't um that kind of conversation and so she called me told me the story i called them um and was just kind of like we were talking about it like kind of angry at first. And then as, you know, I sat there and thought about it, I called them back and I was like, you know what? He has a point. Like there are a lot of great men out there. This doesn't need to be a uh, girls versus boys, uh, women versus men. This isn't a fight against the genders. This is a problem that as the world should come together and try to solve. Um, So I was a graphic designer for 10 years and I I always am looking for a creative outlet. Emily also is always looking for a creative outlet. So we kind of just thought, why don't we create this company where we can, you know, take this problem and try to see if we can get men to wear clothing that has a feminist messaging to it, or if they can say, you know, that they support this movement, or they support women in general, um, without making them feel like they're not included. So um, it started like that and then we kind of just started asking men around us like what do you think? Would you wear this? would you would you talk about this with people? Do you even know what you're gonna talk about if someone were to ask you? And the general consensus was yes, I'd wear it, but no, I don't know what I'm talking about. So um, it really became a something that we looked into and thought about and And slowly we started developing these designs. Like, would you wear this? It doesn't really say much, but would you wear it? Like, yeah, I'd wear that. So um, over time, we've gotten a little bit more aggressive with our messaging and a little bit more out there. Um, But it's just trying to get it so that we include everybody and everybody wants to wear it. And it's not just girl power, only women kind of thing.
0: It's, you know. Uh, it's no secret. I am a man. Um, <laughs> anyone's wondering that. Um, I have so many women friends. I have had so many women on this podcast. We I have talked about this issue extensively uh, with so many women uh, in terms of, you know, violence against women, sexual violence against women. Um, it, You know, every woman I've ever talked to in my entire lifetime has had a story of Whether it's assault, whether it's harassment, whether it's, you know, getting an unwanted dick pic, like whatever, whatever it is, like, this is, this is a prevalent problem. And it's interesting that you say, you know, because this is not an uncommon thing for men to feel. And it's something I will admit, when the conversation of Me Too started, I was also a little bit defensive of myself. And you get into that conversation of not all men blah 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 all that stuff and fragile masculinity all those things and you know as you have more of these conversations uh, about feminism about women and movements and empowerment and, and equality and you know inequities all that stuff you learn that you know feminism which a lot of men take as um hating men actually really includes men and is very beneficial towards men and that's something i talk about a lot um coming from like a, a hockey background, because we all, I'm sure we all know hockey players, especially who aren't the best people when it comes to dealing with women. I'll go to you, Shannon, uh, because yep. this is what you study and this is what you, you know, you're really working towards in your career and academics. You know, how when I say the problem is bad, I think we all know the problem is bad unless you're an idiot. I'll say that. But like in terms of statistics, in terms of your like, the academic research we have how prevalent and bad is this problem
1: so the typical statistic that comes up is one in 3 women have experienced some form of sexual assault uh it's really important to bear in mind that those are based on reported statistics mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it it's very possible that that is much higher uh, last year some reports came out saying that a, a huge amount of women the majority of women have experienced some form of sexual harassment. And again, that's reported. Uh, there is a huge issue of underreporting within these kinds of fields, uh, just because a lot of people still don't feel comfortable coming forward, which can be totally understandable. Um, <clears throat> I would say too um there's also a misrecognition sometimes about what that could entail. So for mm-hmm. some people when we're talking about things like this, it's these ideas of stranger assaults and violence against women committed by strangers, uh, or that this is kind of a one-off thing. It's, you know, those bad apples and that kind of thing. And people don't necessarily realize how pervasive it is. Um, So it can be challenging. And in terms of what you were saying, I think for a lot of men, uh, feminism still has this kind of bad word Type association. And I think too um, that it's often seen as a special interest. Gender issues are seen as a special interest, or they're seen as something that only pertains to women. And I know this from my own experience in teaching. Um, If I have a class where I'm talking about these things, a lot of men, you can see their faces kind of starting to zone out. But then once you start talking about the effects of these things on men, it's like a, a shift in their head. And it's the same thing that you're talking about. Um, with mental health, the expectations of toxic masculinity, or just general expectations of masculinity, uh, and all of those things. So part of what we want to do is include men in those conversations, have them understand not only the struggles that women are facing, but how it affects men as well. Because these patriarchal norms that we have can be very damaging for both men and women and any other
0: genders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I'm giving my talks, which is More recently, this year went into more about men's mental health and this this idea of redefining what masculinity is. It's that yeah, a lot of men, and especially a lot of older men, don't understand how much that the patriarchy and these these traditional values we hold to men are damaging to us. The fact that like if we show emotion, we're weak, or we cry, or you know, if we we do something. Uh, one of my biggest examples is I I found this new love for musicals, and you know, even a couple of years ago, even now, men would say, "Oh, like that's gay," or that you know, that you know, you're you're a pussy or something like that because you like musicals. It's like what, like you know, and that's something even I would have said you know, 15 years ago and not understand. My brother who is gay and loves musicals, like when I said I like them, he's like, "You used to make fun of me for like," and now he's like calling me out on it. I, I'm sorry, I didn't know better. <laughs> Um, but I, I want to touch, uh, what, when I think when I look at this, this general conversation we have, and you brought up a good point that it's not men versus women, it really is supposed to be united front, but in a lot of sense, it is men versus women because it is a lot of men committing these acts, right? Like it, they're, they're the ones assaulting. They're like, they're the ones that. are are harassing who follow women down the street or say really creepy things or unwanted touching so why do you think like why was it important to you to I I know you kind of mentioned include men but like has there been resistance from from women to also include men in this conversation because as a man I see a lot of women in this conversation who you know justifiably I will add don't really want men included in this right now and I'll, I'll let Emily I don't know if you have thoughts on that and then whoever wants to jump in on that
2: I guess like I don't know if I can answer that there's a resistance to having men in this conversation like as a whole I'm not I can't speak on that mm-hmm. but I know it was just it was important to us because like an, Just how society is right now, a man being involved in a situation like this or a man's voice is possibly going to be more effective reaching out to another man. And, you know, that's not against men or anything like that's just how society is and how a lot of men will find like something they relate to or, you know, just us speaking of it isn't as beneficial to the movement. Mm-hmm. And like, we're, we're, just really passionate about, you know, it is one in three women, but like men are in this category as well. Like men are getting assaulted and it's very underreported as well. And like, we know that that's an issue and I don't want to downplay that and we don't want to downplay that. So I think it's important to have their voice, their opinion, and it, needs to be a part of the conversation now. There's no sense waiting. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: And men, like men, as Emily was saying, it's it's unfortunate, but it is more effective when a man speaks out to another man and says, you know, that's not okay. Um me and Shannon met working in bars. We've been around lots of men in our (laughs) life, lots of bouncers, lots of managers, lots of bartenders, you know, and they're good guys. It's not saying that they're not but when we have conversations with them, especially bouncers who their job is to protect us or what they think is to protect us. And I say to them, like, do you, do you see, like, what do you do when one of your girls gets inappropriately hit on? They're like, well, I kicked the guy out. And I'm like, okay, but she gets inappropriately hit on. If you kicked everyone out who inappropriately hit on her, you'd have no one in the bar. Like that's her job is to be inappropriately hit on. And that's the problem. Like, we worked cover, coat check, beer tub, you know, the job where we sat there to look pretty and get hit on. That was our job, basically. I mean, anybody could take $5 at the door. It's not not a tricky job. Um, this, by the way, was 10 years ago, so <laughs> things might be a little different now, but back then, that was our job. And You know, we weren't encouraged to say, you know, that guy's creepy, that guy's asking to take me home, that guy is telling me it's fine if I get crumbs in the bread, whatever that means. Um, We got those all day long, all night long, and nobody did anything. And we had bouncers who, like we said, good guys, but they just watched it happen. And if they had just at one point said, man, that's not cool. Or like, don't say that to them or any of those things, you know, it could start a ripple effect where that guy doesn't go to the next bar and says another creepy thing to another girl who's just trying to make a buck in college, you know, like (laughs) all it has to be is just a little bit. You don't have to go crazy, but just one sentence can make a big difference. And I think uh, you're absolutely right. There is,
1: there are a lot of feminist movements that, hold the belief that men shouldn't be necessarily included. I think the most helpful way to look at it is that men should maybe not be the ones leading this movement in terms of taking power because we wanna create spaces of agency for women. However, it's super important that we have strong and empathetic allies. And it also is really important that we have men who are willing to challenge things in their own lives and to challenge what they see around them. So again, these things that we, you know, put on our shirts, we're hoping that, for example, we have this shirt that says, women don't owe you shit. We're hoping a man wears that and another guy goes, hey, what does that mean? And instead of saying, looking at this whole movement as something that they don't know how to participate in, they can say, it means this. And we can now have a conversation and a dialogue about what that means among us. And it creates these opportunities within circles of men to talk about these things in a way that promotes this ally shifting, instead of you know, kind of taking over a movement.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's so. You brought up such an important point that it's not men leading this conversation. We're participating. We're we're listening more than we're talking. I think that's the most important part, and that's the most important part. I think in all the movements we have, whether it's. Black Lives Matter or the the conversation around and land back and indigenous folks that we're we're involved, but we're not the ones dictating what the conversation is. That's the biggest lesson I've learned, especially since the start of this podcast um, and just learning and, and talking with people is that it's important for me as a white man who's straight to be involved, but to be behind the scenes more be listening be supportive and that's what I've taken with me the most but so when I I see these conversations that you know about women empowerment and you know one of the things I've referenced on this podcast so many times is I'm a, I'm a sucker for history and I'm a sucker for documentaries and there was this time at the beginning of the pandemic. I was watching a documentary uh, about this—the decade of the '60s when we had, you know, civil rights movement, uh, women, you know, feminist movement, um, Vietnam, all these things. It was a very powerful time of social change, or at least trying to be. If you look at what women were talking about in the '60s, we're still talking about it now. We're like, not a lot has changed, and I know in Canada it's a little bit different, but. You know, even in the United States, the Equal Rights Act that was supposed to go in the 70s was never ratified by all the states, and it's still not law. And that was something they were talking about in the 70s. How and whoever wants to jump in first again, and then we'll go we'll go through the round table on this question. Is it not discouraging that so many women before you and so many women now are we're still talking about the same things, and we've seen progress, but not enough progress. You know, women are s- still going missing. Um, there's still national cases. There's still tremendous violence, you know, like how do we really start making change? And that's a big question. So I don't expect like a, huge, like, you know, an exact answer, but just in all of your experiences and your opinions, how do we really start to enact something? How do we really start bringing people in and making long tangible policy changes to create safe and equal environments?
1: So social change is really slow, unfortunately, especially when we're talking about something that's this pervasive and this wide. And even if we just look at the Canadian context, um, it's going to be slow. I have these conversations with my mother, my aunts, these things and for them they were fighting for these things in the 70s and the 60s but i think the fact that we're even here having this conversation with you does show that there has been progress because this is not something that would have been feasible back then realistically Um, i think the fact that we can start a clothing line that has these messages on them and that they're a little bit they are of course you know sometimes aggressive but they're also a lot more mainstream and that's a lot the big thing is that we need to be having conversations. Policies don't just come out of thin air. They respond to the needs of the populations and the desires of the population. So if we have a population really pushing for change, we will see it in policy. But we need to be having conversations and advocating for those things on an interpersonal level and within our families, our communities, our schools, our jobs, all these things. And that's really where I see this coming from is these conversations and, you know, just relating to one another and having empathy for each other's struggles, whether you're a man or a woman and so on. Mm -hmm. And I think,
3: um, in general, like the difference, like you said, between the seventies and the sixties and now is that we are more comfortable to talk about it. Like, um, for example, my mom is a, is a badass. She's great. She's a She was a single mom for a long time. She's made a lot of money. She's done really well for herself. And she's a savage. Like she, she's not going to like that. I said that, Um, but she is, she's one of my biggest idols. I love her so much. But when I said to her, like, mom, you're a feminist. She said, no, I'm not. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you are. And she said, no, I'm not. I said, why do you say that? And she said, because a feminist is a bad thing. I said, who told you that? She goes, well, when I was your age, being a feminist meant A, B, C, and I didn't want to be that. I'm like, but it just means you want us to be equal. Don't you want us to be equal? Well, of course. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, then you're a feminist. Oh, you know, <laughs> like, and to have that conversation with her and just kind of like shift her brain from this, I'm not allowed to be this because this is bad to, oh, I've been this my whole life and it's a good thing was really incredible. And now she's, you know, wearing our shirt. She's all proud, <laughs> she's got the middle finger on her makeup bag. Like, she's a, yeah. a big supporter, but. It was a conversation that needed to happen for her to get her there that didn't happen 30 years ago, 20 years ago, when somebody else was, you know, saying, you know, women need more rights. She was like, I don't think I'm allowed to speak on that. So Mm. it's amazing that it's we are able to have these conversations. And then when we have children, we can have that conversation with them and so on and so forth.
2: And that's like, for me, this is where I'm really comfortable and like really excited to be a millennial right now, because we do have this special like advantage where we have so many like avenues to speak and find community where maybe they didn't as much in those days as well. So like, you know, if you're direct circle of friends or, you know, you're in a small town or whatever the case is, you can go online and find your community somewhere and, you know, Gen Z is really coming in hot and like, <laughs> they can make anything happen.
0: So. <laughs> they scare the shit out of me yeah. In, yeah. in good ways and in bad ways, but they scare the shit out of me. Yeah.
2: Like teenagers now are scary, but they're like the ones that are going to make shit happen. And I'm excited to see it. Like this is where change is happening. Yeah.
0: yeah one of the, the most wildest transitions in my, my brain was the concept of my mother, not as just my mom, but as a woman with dreams, with passions, with things that have happened to her, where like you just, it's like this, this like, uh, what is it, like breaking the fourth wall or whatever it's called, like moment where I'm like, whoa, like my mom's not just not my mom, she's a person. It's so weird. I just wanted to mention that because it happened on this podcast when I was talking about. Um, women and work and, and all those different things. It just like hit me. It's like an epiphany. I was like, "Whoa, It's crazy. Um, this is a tricky question, but I, I, I need to make sure we address it. So I will let you answer it how you feel comfortable answering it. But especially, I mean, this has been amplified for a long time now, but especially within the last few weeks with, I mean, in Ottawa, we had, um, we had the, and I'm going to speak on trans issues and rights here, uh, but, you know, we had the, the, that guy who came and was, like, protesting trans kids at schools because he's a fucking wiener. Um, we've had the Dave Chappelle um, special. Now, you know, in your About Us, you know, you you talk about believing in inter- intersectionality, you know, liberation, promoting inclusive environment. Now, that would include, you know, women who are trans, So how do we, because that now becomes a separate issue in terms of feminism of, you know, a lot of TERFs, JK Rowling, Margaret Atwood, just fucking retweeted an article, you know, that aren't inclusive of that when it, in terms of what it means to be a woman. How do we start having that conversation about inclusivity with, you know, trans women and and bringing them in together?
1: Um so I am by <laughs> far not an expert on identity politics. Um my training is far more traditional. Uh but yeah, turfs fucking suck. Like <laughs> that's totally fair. Um so it it is a little bit of a challenge to figure out how to bring identity politics into this movement that's been established for so long. Uh but I think The big thing for me, especially when I talk about this, is you do it with compassion. These people, however they identify, have had very similar experiences. They've experienced violence based on how they identify, how they dress, how they do these things. They've experienced a lot of the same things. And it's important to make them feel included within these communities because they are. They are part of these communities. Um, And I really don't think... That we can say, I'm trying to find the right words here. I I it's (laughs) trans women have very difficult experiences. And I think that it is totally valid to include them in the experiences of women in general. Uh, I don't think that excluding them or putting them within a category of their own is at all helpful. People who have transitioned from male to f- or from female to male have experienced the same things that females have growing up or w- pre-transition. So I think it's really important that we do our best to include this in conversations, but it is something that can be a little bit challenging. We definitely need to be better educated about these things. Uh, and we need to be more open to listening and hearing about the differences and uh, so on. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone wants to jump in there, but just an opportunity. I know that's one of those things, right. Where you're just like, you know, it's, (laughs) it's a, it's a tricky one, but in the name of inclusiveness, you can't have conversations about women without including women, all women. Right. So I just wanted to make sure we addressed it.
2: Yeah. And it's hard for us to, you know, right now where we we're in the infancy of this business. And of course, like we'd love to have more conversations and see how we can be more inclusive but right now we're doing our best. Our designs are like for anyone, our clothing is unisex sizes. We try to include everyone that way, Mm. you know, extra, extra small to extra, extra large. We have children's to adult, like we're trying to be as inclusive as possible while being able to maintain our values, which is we're trying to put as much money back into the community right now. So, you know, that's, it's a, a goal of ours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, What's
3: anyone has any ideas? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Feel free to message us.
0: <laughs> well, I am, I am actually, um, so as we're recording this on a Saturday, on Wednesday, I am having, um, his name's Riley, who's coming, um, he's a trans activist. So I'm hoping to learn more myself, right? Because I'm only on the dialogue of what I see on Twitter. And there's some people um, who I really respect who, who tweet about these issues. So I try to follow along, but... It's one of those things too, where I'm even like, God, I hope I'm saying the right thing and not being an asshole and not being like insensitive and all those things. So I, I totally know. And I, I we're all learning as we go and do doing the best we can for sure. Um, I want to talk about dating. Now we're all young people. I'm sure we're in some of us are in relationships. Some of us are single, uh, but we've all experienced dating. I'm assuming if not, please correct me, but I think dating is where we get into the most trickiest of issues when it comes to men and women dynamics and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. So I'm going to ask this question to all of you and you can share a story uh, from yourself or from a friend who shall remain, remain anonymous. You can share your statistics. However you want to answer this question, I'll leave it to you. But you know, How how do we make dating better and safer and you know make it a much more enjoyable experience for for women especially, but even for men, because it's not even as a man, it's not super enjoyable for me either. I just deleted all my dating apps. I'm like, I'm done for a while. I'm I'm toast. Um, like so, like, let's have a conversation about this and really try to hash it out. Whoever wants to start can start.
2: I guess
3: look at me. (laughs) (laughs) Well. First of all, I'd like to say Emily's been taken forever, so I've been taken for a little bit, and Shannon's single. So we come from all mm. different aspects of this um, this world. Uh, we've all had our time on some dating apps, so and that part we can sp- we can speak to pretty professionally. I would say at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's tough because it really, especially from a girl's point of view, we try to keep stay as safe as possible, but it's really honestly almost impossible. Like, should you FaceTime them before you meet them? Should you talk to them for a month before you meet them? Should you talk to them for a day and just get it over with? Should you creep their Instagram? Should you not creep their Instagram? Should you Google them? Should you not Google them? you like all these questions and it doesn't matter because you'll get there and he's a psycho, (laughs) you know, you really can't predict what he's going to be like when you're in person. Um, and so it's, it's scary no matter what, I mean, you do the, the, I'm going on this date, please call me in an hour. And if I p- sound panic, tell me someone died. And so I can leave, you know, and that's really all I can do. We can do to protect ourselves while on these dates. I mean, I text
1: Jessica's boyfriend and I say, this is where I'm going this is the address. I expect to be home this time, you know, keep an eye out. Um, I think it's hard. I I think a big thing is that without necessarily having the knowledge of the statistics and the the threats that are out there, a lot of men aren't necessarily compassionate. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there are pushes that men may place without realizing that it's a scary boundary, right? Um, So, for me, a big red flag is if within a couple of days somebody's like, When are we meeting? And I'm like, I don't know if you're going to try and murder me. So I'm going to need a little bit more <laughs> time than that. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of it is just being aware that dating can be really scary for everybody, but especially when you have to think about your own safety at the same time. Um, I just wish more men were aware <laughs> of that and were more cognizant of that when they're interacting with women.
3: Yeah, I mean, I like to give this example because it's so simple, but I'm a very tiny person. I always have been very small. Um, And I'll go on dates with guys and they'll hold up my wrist like this and be like, I could break this. And I get it all the time. Honestly, Mm -hmm. almost every date I've ever gone, I was like, wow, you're so small. I could just break you. And it's like, can you stop reminding me that you could just (laughs) break me if you wanted to? And it's not that they even realize that what they're saying is terrifying. But what you're saying is terrifying. Mm -hmm. Like you think it makes you feel strong or tough or whatever it may be that you're feeling in that moment. But for me, it's like, wow, I'm extremely vulnerable right now. And I really couldn't do much if he decided that he wanted to hurt me. Um, And it's just like a little reminder that happens to me on almost every date I've ever been on. So, and it's very simple, but honestly, I've had girlfriends say it to me. So it's not (laughs) even just guys, but it, it happens to me often. And it's just like a little oh, that's a little scary, but I have to not react because you're not meaning to be scary, but you're scary. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. a scary thing to say. And my head right now is just
2: going like the devil's advocate route where I'm just saying like people's boundaries are all different too. So it Mm -hmm. is extremely hard dating when you don't know, like the last person you dated might've been okay with you grabbing their waist or, you know, asking you if they can pick you up right at their house or something and some other woman might not feel comfortable with that so I'm not saying it's easy for anyone to be dating male female whatever um I think safety tips though like share your location with your friends I have probably eight women on my by my friends so I know their location at all times yeah people who are in committed relationships or not it's a safety feature
3: we have each other like yeah my mom knows if I go missing Emily knows where I am she's the
2: only person
3: but she knows where I am at all times
2: and set your boundaries right from the start you know if it weeds out some guy that doesn't appreciate those boundaries from you that's probably a good thing like say what you're comfortable with what you expect from a partner or even just this date and if they're icked by that that's fine Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think it's hard it's hard yeah, to-
0: it's it's an interesting dynamic now myself personally um i'm very cognizant of all these things so like i try not to joke about it but like i just assume they've taken my license plate they've googled me which i'm pretty <laughs> proud cuz i have a pretty good seo ranking here now. <laughs> um so like but you're right like you never know like you could say whatever you want on the internet and you never know what they're going to be like in person But, you know, I I just because I have so many women in my life, I'm just aware of all the things. So I always lean on the side of caution. I'm always very like follow their lead. And if they're comfortable doing something, go along with it. But don't be too much. And then, you know, some people are like, oh, well, you're not you weren't aggressive enough or like I want a man to take charge. It's like, you know, it's like like you said, like everyone has different boundaries, but like it's so hard to to like follow that or like it, like some girls are like, well, I'm waiting for him to make the move. And I'm like, I don't want to make the move in case I like screw up. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's such a tricky dynamic, but I want to touch on something that uh, Shannon said that how many, like are men in your experience from your friends experience? Like, are they cognizant of all these things? You kind of mentioned that they're not, which is very concerning um, because to me, it's uh, like, it's very obvious, but like, I don't know, like, is it like 60, 40, 80, 20? Like how, oh God, you <laughs> shaking her head, smiling. Some men are very cognizant of all these things.
2: It's going to be different for everybody. Like everyone's going to have their own ratio within their experience, right? But I would say for us, if I could speak candidly, it's probably on the higher end, unfortunately, but that they're that not part, aware. Yeah. They're not doing, like, they're not aware of these things.
1: I think too, like, I'll take the example of my dad. My dad is aware. He's a very intelligent man, all these things, but I don't know that he's necessarily aware of it in reality that it happens to the women around him, not just that it's something big, bad, mm-hmm. and out there. And I think that's the case for a lot of men is, well, of course it happens, but not to women in my life. Um, and that makes a big difference.
3: Even, I mean, same thing like the men that are close to me um it's interesting as you like go through life and at some point you do tell the man that you're dating you know i've had this experience i have this trigger i have trauma you know that kind of thing you have the conversation with them that yes you are a survivor and something's happened to you and i always find it so interesting to see their reaction because every guy has seemed to have a different reaction you know some don't want to talk about it at all like they just shut down um, some want to beat up the guy, which well, I don't know what that's going to do, you know. And they all kind of it. Once it becomes someone they know, it's like a whole, like their world just gets rocked that someone they know had this and that they care about had this happen to them. And I think in the dating world, if you've never had that experience where like someone you personally care about has had this terrible thing happen to them, then to you it's a it's an outside problem. It's not something you have to deal with.
2: Just- yeah that we're not talking about it enough. Like we're not comfortable enough or whatever the case is. We have that like deep insecurity about it or shame around problems that have happened that we're not communicating it, especially to the men. Like maybe we're telling our girlfriends, but we're not telling our male friends, our brothers, our dads, our uncles. And I think that's it needs to start happening but it's hard it's hard to feel comfortable having I know for myself I'm not as comfortable having the conversation even with my own partner it took a long time to discuss those things because that's really intimate Mm -hmm.
0: yeah yeah it must be hard to whether it's your dad or like any man in your life to come forward with these with you know these stories of whatever happened like I know it's going to be different for for every situation right context is is king, it's super important with this. But like, do you ever truly trust a man just because you like is there like some sort of D de- seated doubt that you know you just you never fully know that they 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 could turn at any moment? Like I, I know that sounds very like dark and sinister, like horror movie, but you know, even in my mind, like it's like I don't know if I ever really fully trust any other guy around me, like fully
3: 100%. It, could that be like a
2: little bit of how you were raised, though? Like, I think the men in your life when you were a child really reflect the men that you're attracted to or anything as an adult. Like, right. and I think that can go for men with women as well. Like, the women that were, they were surrounded by are kind of. The women they look for as an adult and perhaps that
0: yeah I was a hockey player so I've I've seen men say and do awful things so um, I trust
2: trust my dad he's the best man I've met and I think a lot of my friends and a lot of women would say that as well Mm. that they feel this comfort with him even though he's a large man like Mm. (laughs) he could look intimidating to the you know to somebody who doesn't know him but I would trust him with anything and I still have this like I have a lot of trust for men and I think that uh, affected me as I grew up I had a lot more Mm. trust Um, I put myself in predicaments that I am not proud of and I'm not I would never do at this stage of my life but like me as a growing adult 18 19 20 like when you're just getting your wings (laughs) so to speak like i was very trusting and it could have been a lot worse and i think that's just because how i was raised the men in my life were trusting
0: but i mean this isn't the reality but this should be the reality that like you never put yourself in a bad place someone put you in a bad place because they whatever happened like it's it's this great quote I can't remember I wish I remember who it is but it's like like it's not your job as the victim to prevent abuse it's the abuser to not abuse you right like
2: so I'm not trying to victim blame like oh no yeah yeah, yeah. I'm trying to go there but I consciously put myself in situations or dread like you know, it isn't ever the victim's fault, but mm-hmm. just putting yourself into these more compromised... These sketchy scenarios. Scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's
0: the reality that we, we live yeah. in, even though it shouldn't be. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I totally know what you're saying.
2: But it's, I think... Yeah, sorry. Oh, oh, go ahead. I think
1: too, this is part of the important messaging, right? Is we internalize what we receive, you know? Mm-hmm. So we also are going to internalize these victim-blaming rhetoric sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think too, um, you know... It, with any kind of trauma it's very easy to blame yourself that's usually the first step that you go to and healing takes a long time and it takes a long time to reach those places where you can have certain conversations with Mm -hmm. yourself I think in terms of trusting men I'm very cautious about this because I really believe in this whole idea of emotional labor and I don't think that it is typically the woman's job to continue to put herself out there and speak about her traumas to make men understand I think a lot of it is just think about the one in three, right? If we're like, we're, we are three in three. We're example. Um, and, you know, so if the statistic is one in three, there is a, at least one woman in your life close to you that has experienced some kind of sexual violence. And it doesn't necessarily have to be up to us to disclose, but you need to think about it. I also think part of that, Comes into trust, right? I'm, I'm like Emily. I trust my dad explicitly, Um, but you you know, it takes time. You build up resiliency after going through these processes of healing and so on. Uh, And part of that is you have to learn to trust again. It's really hard, but that's part of healing. Um, Yeah,
3: I think it's. I mean, for me, I can almost not. It's not the same level, but it's kind of like cheating, right? Like do you trust your partner? 100% that they're not going to cheat on you. Some people that answer is never yes. hundred percent. He's not going to cheat on me. Um, whereas some people absolutely like, I, I, I do not believe he'll ever cheat on me. And it's just kind of like a personal thing. It's just, it depends on the relationship on the person for me. I've always looked at it as if I don't, I'm going to stick with cheating. Cause it's just less aggressive. If, if I think my partner's going to cheat him. on me, <laughs> well, I'm not going to say, you know, if I think my partner's going to cheat on me, then I don't want them to be my partner. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is. If I thought my boyfriend was going to beat me up, he wouldn't be my boyfriend. He wouldn't be my husband. He wouldn't be my partner because I don't trust him. And I think that's a huge, to me, red flag. So I've never dated someone I didn't trust 100%, whether I'm trusting them with my body in my life or not to cheat on me. You know, I have to trust them hundred percent to date them and to Mm. love them and to be with them. Um, And if I don't, then I shouldn't, I don't feel personally that I should be with them. Um, To me, that's a red flag. So, and, and, you know, we do have different role models in our lives. And for me, my role models were all over the place. So um, I didn't grow up trusting men hundred percent at all, but I, um, I make sure to find a partner that I do trust Mm hundred percent.
0: Shannon, this might be a question for you, but I'm not sure if it's outside of your expertise uh, and what you study. But I, if and if it's not, it's okay. But I want to ask it because you will hear a very common comment or you know defensive men that like, oh well, you know, if he was that abusive, why doesn't she just leave? Um, if X, Y, Z happened to her, like why didn't she just report it? And so I don't know if you're able to talk about you know victim uh psychology and you know um the things that happen like when women are in a relationship and and can't leave for whatever reason uh but like do you have any insight there and just to kind of like
1: yeah. and i think emily could probably add okay. to that a little bit too um it's it's tough i i mean it's definitely a response that comes up uh i think there's a lot of complexity to it that people don't necessarily realize um especially in cis- For example, if we talk about domestic violence, people really easily say, why don't you just leave? Mm -hmm. But you have to think about finances. Where are they gonna go? Even little things like, what are they gonna do with their pets? You know, these are very complex factors. Um, A lot of times these people feel trapped and there's this hope that things will get better and this kind of sense of desperation that things might get better. Um, Reporting is very difficult. Mm -hmm. um when we're talking about sexual violence even domestic violence um a lot of women are not believed even now even with everything that's come out um Canada is getting better but is still quite bad for dismissing a lot of cases of sexual violence and domestic violence um they're was a report that came out called unfounded definitely recommend that people read it's very interesting uh and it goes into some of these complexities of what happens when women try to report and how these things make it very difficult for women to feel Mm -hmm. comfortable and there's also these questions like i said the lines can be blurry um so you a while to realize what happened and it may take you A while to think oh maybe I should have reported that Um, because it's just complex you where is the line for these kinds of things Um, and when you have a police department that isn't necessarily responsive it becomes very difficult to find that one Mm -hmm.
2: I'll I'll let Emily yeah and from my perspective of it um, I just had an example with I work for the municipality in our area and the women who flee abusive situation and come to the municipality for support, whether that's for funding housing, it's crisis placement, it's crisis housing. Um, it's a almost a 10 page document disclosing the abuse, the abuser and the details of it. And it is incredibly challenging for them to relive that trauma and put it down on paper and trust people with it and it really prevents a lot of people from reaching out for help or they go there find out that they have to fill this out and say no way I'm not doing that Um, so that's just from my municipal side but then from victim services side is completely different as well like unfortunately the group I see is mostly in a lower social status and, or sorry, a lower social class and low income, you know, they have a lot of challenges and it's, yeah, it's, um, you can't really say why did they stay? It's hard either way. It's hard Mm -hmm. to leave. It's hard to stay. And sometimes they're considering their family, their children, their pets, their, You know, they'd rather it's also society lets women take the brunt of that emotional trauma. Like we're so used to holding it all in and being that, you know, punching bag to protect our kids, protect our family. Like I know from for myself, I will put myself in front of any of my friends and family. And that's just my like empathetic nature. And I think a lot of women have that motherly, nurturing mm-hmm. instinct to do the same. So I f- think there, it's a protective instinct. You, Yeah, it's a protective instinct to stay. And there's no fault in it. And it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of support to leave.
3: Well, and when you think about it, I mean, for my own personal self, when I had instances happen to me, I wasn't even comfortable enough to tell my mother or my father, or my brother, or, you know, my friends, how could I possibly go tell a stranger? Like Mm -hmm. to think about that, how am I possibly gonna go into a place where I know nobody? That's a very scary atmosphere in general and tell them something that I'm not even comfortable enough to tell my best friend. Like it's the most intimate, scary thing that ever happened to me. Why would I, how am I ever gonna get up enough nerve to tell a police officer? And even if I do, Then I got to then what happens? Do I have to go to court and tell a room of strangers? Do I have to tell a room of strangers with him in the room? Do I have to, you know, then what happens? Does he go to jail? Do I get a, like, what happens? And then that question, at least for me, went through my head multiple times. Then what happens? Then what happens? Because that's my option. Or I could just shut up and crush it down and hope I get over it. And that answer is usually the easier one. I'm just going to not tell anybody and hope this doesn't damage me 10 years from now. Uh, it's which, my therapist problem. Yeah, <laughs> it's future me's problem because I'm not dealing with all of that. That's a lot and that's scary. And uh, they probably won't believe me anyway. So why bother?
0: Right, yeah. The support systems we have for people who come forward with abuse and and violence and and all that, like, it's it's terrible. Like, I couldn't imagine, like, you know, you even get to the point of court and you have some angry 60 year old man like pointing his finger, like poking your holes in, in your story and being like, that's not how it happened. Like, you know, like it's like there's the one side of the, you know, pro- innocent until proven guilty. But just the way we have it all set up, like, like how traumatizing, how like and, you know, I've never even seen it in person. Like I, I shudder and shiver at the thought of it um like it's just so difficult i want to touch on you know the systemic abuse things that we happen cuz every every friggin day it seems like i'm on twitter reading another story of like some sports organization like like covering up abuse We have everything that's happening in the military right now. Like all these high ranking officials, every time we're like, we need to appoint a new commander. It's like, Oh no, he has like abuse allegations in the eighties, like start over. And then we look at what's happening in America. We have Texas, like basically hating women in every way they can. You know, we've talked about all this progression. We've talked about, you know, how you're now sitting here with me, talking and we're having this wonderful open conversation and we're going to, you have a company now, all these great things, but then you look at the the macro level of society and, and it feels like we're going backwards. Does it feel that way to you all that like, it's like we seem to be making this progression, but then it seems like we're back in like the 1800s with the way we treat women in some cases. Like, does it feel that way? Does it feel discouraging if so, or does it make you feel more motivated to be like, we need to fucking fix this. Let's go.
2: I think that's where it's like the angry feminist thing isn't a negative, like it's not a dirty word. Like, I think we all need to be a little angry about it and that's okay. Like, you know, I'm not going to, you know, scream at these people and swear at them over Twitter because like, that's not beneficial, but you need to like, you need to feel a little bit of rage to
3: help progress and like make those changes, I think. Because if you're not, I mean, you mentioned Texas, the whole thing going on with abortion right now, there's a lot of protesters who are for against or sorry, against abortion that are protesting right now. And I drove through a town few weeks ago and you see these protesters with little children and you know their husbands and they're holding these signs that say awful things and it's like a Sunday afternoon and you're like this is awful like some poor girl is going to drive through here feel reminded of one of the worst things that probably ever happened to her and ruin her Sunday all for what like you know like it's just so frustrating and to watch it if it doesn't make you angry that these people are out there just just terrorizing these poor girls that's a problem like you should be angry that they're doing it cuz they're angry like they're that's why they're out there they're angry on their for their own beliefs they're angry and they're taking a stand and if you don't take a stand too if you don't get a little mad they're going to keep going and they're going to win and you have to keep you know keep fighting because there are people that are just you know getting terrorized by by these angry people on the internet and on the street I think for me, anger
1: is important. Anger is a force, um, but hope is absolutely important. Um, <clears throat> I think a lot of people see these things and they feel overwhelmed and unsure what to do. And it's really it's really difficult. Uh, but I, again, I think the fact that we're even reading about these things in the news and talking about them is progress because we wouldn't have had that before, and I think we need to hold on to those small glimmers of hope because you can't sustain social movements without that. Um, all of these things are part of this big underlying problem of patriarchal norms and expectations. We can all bring it bring it back down to kind of one overarching thing, and we don't it doesn't even have to be patriarchy. It could be all of these systems of oppression. But to challenge systems of oppression, you need to have hope that there is um, the option for a better world. And I think that is the, the only way to sustain it. Um, so seeing this, but then also seeing the resistance that is coming out of people is beautiful. Um, seeing the resistance all over the world. I mean, I remember reading something about 2021 and 2020 being the year of protest. And of course we saw all these terrible things happening, but people fought and, um, non-violently, they fought for things that were important to them in a way that we haven't seen in a a long time. And I think that's a huge resource in helping to sustain these kinds of things.
0: Yeah, it's, it's especially in the Western world, like we look to the right, like, you know, the more, uh, you know, Islamic countries, or we look at places like Myanmar, or, or, much more oppressive states and we we look at them protest protesting like oh they're always protesting like right like it's a very western centric idea and then you start to realize it's like they're fighting for their lives um and how important that is and you know now we we see it and that's why we talk about gen z like yeah they're they're scary but they're not afraid to go protest out in front of parliament if if they need to which is a great a great thing I want to talk about a little bit about social media, because I think that is. It's one thing to to have something happen to you in person, and it absolutely happens. And I know women walking down the street have men yell things at them and, and all those things. But there is a certain element of social media, which is wonderful, because now we're learning about these things in a much more broader context. And we're hearing very personal stories Uh, Women are able to have power to maybe not go to the police, but they can go to Twitter and be like, you know, this so and so did this to me, you know, we've seen so many famous people now being brought down by that so there's a lot of good to it. But on the other end of that, social media allows for anonymity, which a lot of men use to their advantage, especially like I, I look at my friends in journalism And like, like they're literally like, they don't have to be on social media anymore because they've received so much harassment, like that type of stuff. So I don't know if you have a thought, a comment about social media in general and it's, and it's treatment and harassment towards women, maybe ways we can fix it, maybe ways we can make it better and more inclusive. Again, one of those big questions that I know no one really has the answer to or, or else like we'd end it, but just some thoughts and comments on, on social media, its treatment towards women.
3: Talk.
0: Sure. Anybody. <laughs> Jessica, <laughs> let's start with you.
3: Um, you know, social media is such a, it's a scary, weird, fantastic place. And, um, you can put your full self out there. You can be yourself. You can show what you want, what you don't want. And all of that is, is really great. But, um, you also open yourself up to a lot of creepy people, a lot of messages that you get in your DMS that you're like, how did someone think this was appropriate to say to a stranger or not a stranger? I mean, I've gotten some from, you know, some guy who sat in my English class 20 years ago that decided now's the time to shoot his shot. (laughs) You know, it's a, it's a lot. And I don't know if there's a way to stop it because these people are just sitting at home and they feel protected. They're not in person. They don't have to, there's no consequences for their actions so they can say what they want and do what they want. And there's not much we can do about it. And I don't know. I don't think I'm the right person to speak about it because I just genuinely don't know if there's a way to change it or to make it stop. You know, I think with all the good, there is the bad. Mm
2: -hmm. And I would say like, I run our Instagram page for Lady Loud. So right from the start, I was terrified to say the wrong thing. What's the wording I should be using? What's politically correct? What's inclusive? Whereas I was like scared. And that's where we needed Shannon to be part of this because it is scary putting yourself out there and being open to anyone's criticism, anyone's anger, anyone's fear, and they take it out maybe unnecessarily on you because you've triggered something in them. Um, I think we're just going with the kill it with kind, like kill them with Mm -hmm. kindness approach right now, where we're just saying, you know, we're learning, we're doing our best. Thanks for the criticism. (laughs) But I think you need to, take ownership and control like when you put yourself out there you're open to criticism I'm sure you've experienced it we have all experienced it especially when you start doing something so public and you want strangers to see it Um, but I think you need to be prepared for it but also be ready to defend yourself a little bit and be passionate about what you put out be your authentic self and You know, don't be scared to block and delete Get the negativity out of there.
3: (laughs) And we have like, we're trying to, or we're sorry. We're not trying to be meek and mild. We are loud. That's, that's where our name comes from. Mm -hmm. We want to be provocative. We want to spark conversations, good or bad. We want these things to happen. So unfortunately our Instagram is going to be a scary place because we're not necessarily, you know, sitting back and let's just hope they like it no like we want we want people to to like it but we also don't care if you don't like if you don't then you're not for us anyways um it does make emily's job a little bit tougher because she's got to deal with the people who aren't very excited about it but um we know when we started we knew that there were going to be people who who don't like what we're saying and and that's totally fine we're totally okay with it Um, The only place that we try to do our best is to make sure that we are politically correct. We are not trying to offend anybody or make people feel left out or any of those things. Absolutely not. But um, other than that, like, we'll just give you the middle finger and move on. Like, we don't, don't care if you don't like our messaging and what we're saying. And I think
2: it also, like, it comes from a place of maturity and confidence to not let those comments bother you or not to, like, respond back irrationally. Cause we all feel that bit of rage. Like when we get a stupid comment or something like your initial reaction might be like, Oh my gosh, I'm just going to freak out right now. But like, it's so important to have that maturity and like calmness to step away from it, maybe vent to a safe space and decide what you're going to say. And I think we're really fortunate in the situation that we're in where we can chat about it and find you know some humor maybe or (laughs) we definitely all come at it from different places um Mm -hmm. and I yeah I don't think everybody has that um they're not fortunate enough to have that community or you know they might be challenging or dealing with other challenges in their life and they kind of put that out on the internet and it's reflected in their content or how they speak to people and you know that's nothing you can take personally it's not something that you can change (laughs)
0: Mm.
2: shannon did you have a thought
0: i just didn't want to leave you left out oh
2: yeah Yeah.
1: um i think personally i go through waves with these things right sometimes i'm like yeah this is my opportunity to educate and try and then there's other times where I just don't have the energy for it. And you have to be really aware of what your boundaries are and um, you dictate how you invest your energy. So I think these things are out there. I don't really know if we're going to see more kind of policing of certain kinds of things online. Uh, But I think it's just really important to protect your energy, do what you can, but also know where your limits are and what is safe and healthy for you to do.
0: Yeah, uh, it's a huge thing that, like, you are not obligated to respond or defend yourself on social media, uh, and that's a big thing I've learned as, like, a activist and uh, advocate that, like, d- like, I don't owe you a debate, I don't owe you a response, like, you made your comment, freedom of speech, whatever you want to say, I don't give a shit, like, I was gonna, I was pulling this up, because this is my favorite meme, I don't know if you can see it, or Crispies. if it's inverted, <laughs> but it says, yikes, Krispies, with, like, the, the meme face, And like if I don't like a comment and I don't feel like I'll just like reply with a yikes crispies. My favorite thing to do.
3: I use that. (laughs) Yeah, that'll be our new thing.
0: Or I'll send it to you. I'll send it and then we can we can just go through it all. Um, but yeah, anytime you challenge power, there's going to be resistance. I mean that's the point of the patriarchy, right? Like, and when I challenge it, it's difficult. And then when you challenge it as women, it's difficult. And then as you go down the line of people who are oppressed, so indigenous folks, you know trans folks, uh, gay folks, uh, non-binary or black or Indian or Chinese or you know Islamic country. like wherever you, you come from in your background and your social economic identity, like it, the more resistance it can come from especially you know white angry men in power who for some reason feel like they're being oppressed by being told they can't touch women inappropriately doesn't make sense to me. Like my mind just can't comprehend it. But I mean, that's basically what it is. It's like, Hey, don't rate me. And men are like, well, hold on. Okay. Don't be angry. It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, well,
3: I think Shannon actually also, you can talk about because she posts a lot in her own personal Instagram. I recommend you follow her, but her stories. is <laughs> Often are very, you know, educational. They are talking about issues that are happening in the world. And um, you do get a lot of, a lot of, let's go back to dating. A lot of men that are like, whoa, whoa. Like, I don't know if she's for me because she's so aggressive <laughs> with these issues. Yeah. Um, again, this whole
1: confidence thing, it took me a long time to get here, but there's a lot of me that's like, well, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. Um, but I also like in terms of how to communicate with these people, I learned something really important when I was a part of a movement at Carlton. Um, there are some people whose minds you will not change. It's just not going to happen. So again, think about where your energy is best served. Try and find those people who are still trying to navigate this or who are new to this and who are open to hearing other opinions and invest your energy there. The people who aren't going to change, let them do their thing. They will eventually become a minority. Um, but yeah, just protect your energy.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a great conversation. Uh, I want to, cause you touched on that. You're really investing some of these proceeds into community organizations. So what are some of the places that you are, you've targeted as, as place you would like to invest some of the, some of the money, um, from the proceeds?
2: Well, right now we're still like in our, first quarter. So we're just like,
0: Oh, this is like literally brand new sort of yeah, in
2: August.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah. there we go. We're I didn't gonna, even ask that.
2: <laughs> yeah. So we're still like, uh, collecting those funds. So we haven't actually picked one specific right now, but we're open to suggestions if people have them, but we are just going to be looking for, you know, local women's shelters, you know, local charities that we're passionate about, either Ottawa, Muskoka, Mm -hmm. you know, Toronto, wherever we see fit and And anything that's supporting women, women and
3: children. Well, and we'll probably also like, as you know, as the time goes on, if something is socially happening, Mm -hmm. um, a big issue is currently happening, and, and it's a big problem, then we'll probably focus there this quarter or Mm -hmm. you know and just keep it like not one specific place every time um Mm -hmm. i will mention in her other professional
1: life jessica has donated proceeds to the ottawa coalition against violence against women Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's one that is near and dear to our hearts uh because it is local Uh, they are proactive but are also focused on research and things like that so that's definitely one that is high up on our list Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Shout out to them. And if they're listening, thanks for liking my tweets. Uh, good. Um, In in my professional career, uh, which I don't mention on on here a lot because I don't want to cross those two over, but I work with um, Cornerstone Housing for Women a lot, uh, Minwashi Lodge, which is a a shelter for Indigenous women. Um, There's the Women's Mental Health Center uh, as part of the Royal, uh, which is great. Um, the Center for the Canadian Center for Gender Sexual and Gender Diversity uh, is another one I've worked with, um, who are really great. Uh, so those are some ideas. And for anybody who's listening, who's looking for a, a, a place to donate money, maybe for women, those are great places to start, especially here in Ottawa. So just some, some brainstorming. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, where can people? You know, order their shirts, some of your product. I I know I love the woman on top shirt. Uh, You know, I I think that one's awesome. Um, Where do they find you? Social media. You can give your personal ones too if you want, or if you want to hide away from the scary people on the internet. I totally get that too. (laughs) Uh,
3: You can find our website is www.ladyloud.ca, and our Instagram is at ladyloud.ca. So it's very simple. I don't know, my personal Instagram would be exciting to anyone, but if you need eyelashes, ladylash.ca, <laughs> it's a great place to go.
0: Well, thank you uh, so much for joining me. Thank you for this uh, very open and candid conversation because I know it's not always easy to talk about these things as much as we want to, especially in a more public setting. Like It's easier if we were just like sitting around for drinks talking about it, but to have people listen is another thing. But like let's get fucking loud let's uh you know <laughs> smash the patriarchy you know whatever uh but we need to challenge the governments these institutions the system and and people to to really make change because as i know shannon noted and we all can acknowledge like there has been social progress but you know there's there's no greater story like gabby petito indigenous women continue to like it's still so pervasive that even though we've made progress like it's it's not enough and it's too slow so like let's fucking go i'm i'm right with you
3: hell yeah Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) all right thank you so much again thank
3: thank you for having us
1: you take the red pill you stay in wonderland and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.